WV Uncommonplace. This podcast is a variety podcast that houses numerous series to cover mental health, empowerment, podcast framework, and various intimate theories to get to know the hosts. Along with occasional movies, reviews, and dives in pop culture with our event podcast episodes. The Uncommonplace digs into bringing guests on that stories don't fit the mold and are very different. WV stands for the great state of West Virginia and every quarter we cover something in West Virginia. Stacy and myself JR are your hosts so please come along for this venture to Uncommon Place. Now. Welcome to West Virginia and Commonplace. My name is JR. Stacy is away on assignment right now. She is somewhere over in West Virginia carving out a path for our next few episodes. Uh, she's dipping and dabbing into all kinds of things. And today I have with me an amazing lady. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this lady real quick. And it's real simple. Her name is Colleen. And her last name is Fall. And to, to get that proper, it's F-A-U-L. And this lady comes to us today and she has a big heart. Um, we did a quick little pre-call. She has a website and you know, I do my shameless plug. I'm going to do this ahead of time. You go over to www.godsprecious.gift and that's G-O-D-S-P-R-E-C-I-O-U-S and then G-I-F-T dot com. And then you will find out some more about Colleen. But let's do like what we always do on this show. Let's get that nostalgic question out the way. Who is Colleen? So Colleen, please introduce yourself and tell us who you are and why you're here today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. That was a great intro, by the way. Um, who am I? My name is Colleen Fall. Like you said, I am a wife and mother of two rambunctious toddlers. Um, I've got a two-year-old, no, I've got a year and a half old and a, and a three-year-old right now. And I'm also a published children's book author. And that, the story of how I became a children's book author is kind of what brought me here to, to end up talking with y'all today. But uh, that is, that is in a nutshell, that is who I am. I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a writer, I'm an author, and I'm also a kind of on the side, a mentor for families with children with special needs, because I have a child with special needs. My daughter has a genetic disorder that has a lot of health complications that come with it. And it's a roller coaster and we need community. We parents of special needs kids need community. And so uh, that's something you can find out about through my website that you just mentioned. But that's that's who I am in a nutshell. Okay. And audience, I always relate something to me to the person. So when we get people on the show or have people come to ask to be on the show, I have to find something that's relatable. Now, my son, Landon, he's 14 years old. He has PPD and OS. And his autism, when he was a young kid, he didn't walk. He didn't walk till he was two. He rolled around. He got everywhere he needed. He was nonverbal. And he just was a ball of joy and he didn't cry. He was the only baby I've ever met in my life. He didn't cry until he was four years old because he didn't know how to, you know, emote that. And eventually he got to a point, you know, by the time he was five or six, everything started coming full circle, reading, writing. And now he tested out of special needs and he's in regular classes enjoying his sophomore year this year in high school. So that's how we correlate and relate things because I had a situation that was similar. 
and, and, and that's how that's you know that's how we make things relatable and that's how you get that empathy and sympathy for people so oh. colleen please dive into your story of the medical issues that happen with your daughter Oh, sure. And uh, that's beautiful. That actually gives me some hope uh, with hearing about your your son who was nonverbal because my daughter is nonverbal, too. And she's um, she's going to be two in June. And so we're kind of wondering, is she ever going to talk? And so uh, the fact that yours uh, didn't talk until later, that kind of gives me hope that my daughter will. Um, so the my story is basically it started about a year and a half ago when my daughter was born we thought we had a perfectly healthy baby. We thought uh, she was, everything was typical for, for, you know, an infant. We didn't know that anything was uh, amiss, but when she, as she started growing, she wasn't reaching milestones at the typical rate that an infant would. And she, her eyes didn't seem to be developing um like a normal infant she she wasn't making eye contact she wasn't really focusing on anything and at first i thought her eyes was the only issue i thought she probably had a problem with her eyes like her vision and that didn't shock me because i have to wear contacts my husband has uh, eye problems my mom has a lazy eye we've just got a lot of eye problems in our family. So I figured worst case scenario, she probably uh, will have to wear glasses when she gets older. And she's not reaching milestones, like like reaching for things probably because she just can't see them. You know, I kind of just rationalized in my head about things. And I took her to an ophthalmologist, the pediatric ophthalmologist. And he said that her eyes were just slow to mature. And I was like, okay, okay. Um, so I wasn't really worried at first, but then when she got to be about um, five months old, uh, her she still wasn't reaching milestones and she had actually started regressing a little bit. Milestones that she had met, she couldn't do anymore. She couldn't roll over. She had stopped laughing. Things started becoming a little bit more worrisome to me. And I brought it up with her pediatrician and she said she still wasn't particularly worried, but I asked her, could we get an appointment with a neurologist just to be sure? And she kind of more humoring me than anything else said, okay, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll make an appointment with a neurologist. And she told me that it was probably a better idea for her to refer us to a different hospital to get seen by the neurology department because the neurology department at the hospital we were at was really backed up and it would probably be a really long time before we could be seen. And we have a much better chance of being seen sooner at this other hospital. I said, okay, that's fine. But this other hospital, uh, they were not very efficient in getting us seen. They like, uh, they, one thing or another hadn't been filed correctly with insurance or something. And, and I kept on calling a couple of times every week to try to get an appointment made. And one thing or another still hadn't been done properly. And eventually almost a month went by and we still didn't even have an appointment made for my daughter to be seen. And so I was getting more and more frustrated. And then finally, towards the end of that month, my daughter was still five months old, but she was, uh, she was about to turn six months old. Finally, my daughter, her name is Grace, by the way, we call her Gracie. Okay. She started doing, she started doing these arm motions that I had never seen before, where both of her arms would shoot up from her side up above her head. 
at the same time. And they'd stay there for a couple of seconds and then they'd come down. And if you looked at her face, you could see she herself was surprised by this motion and she was, and she would get a little upset by it. And then 10 seconds later, she'd do it again. Her arms would shoot up again. And this would happen over over and over again. And I had, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what that was, Uh, but she seemed to be getting more and more upset by it. And I didn't know what it was. And I showed it to my husband and he didn't know what it was. And he kind of just shrugged it off and said, oh, don't worry about it. I'm sure it's nothing. But then I showed it to my mom. I brought her next door. My mom happens to live next door to us. So I took her next door and showed my mom what was going on. And my mom looked at her and was like, this is not normal. A little, a baby should not be making these arm motions. Something is very wrong. And I think I needed just one other person to kind of voice that out loud for me to be like, okay, something is very wrong. We're going to the emergency room right now. I grabbed my baby. I grabbed my husband and we went to the emergency room and we were there for like five or six hours. They took blood, a blood draw and they did x-rays of her chest And they came back to us in the end, after seeing the videos, after hearing her cry, at the end of it, they came back and said, we couldn't find anything on the chest x-ray. We didn't find anything in her blood work. Your daughter's probably just being fussy. You should go home. And uh, (laughs) at that moment, it was like 11 o'clock at night. At that moment, I think I wanted to believe that that was true. I wanted to believe that my daughter was just being fussy, that I was being overreactive, and ultimately everything was okay. I wanted to believe that. So we took her home, and the next day, I started uh, texting some girlfriends of mine, just kind of, you know, chatting up, saying, hell, you know, we went to the emergency room last night. You won't believe what happened, you know, and I started describing these arm motions, and one of my friends texted me a video of another baby who was doing these exact same arm motions. And the title of that video said infantile spasms. And I didn't know what that was. I had never heard of infantile spasms before, but I did a quick Google search. And that was enough to tell me that infantile spasms is a rare form of epilepsy found in children. It's very serious and it needs to be treated aggressively and immediately. And basically what it is, is your child is having hundreds of seizures a day, seconds apart. And that's, and that's what the arms, the arms motion, the arm motions are is seizures. Uh, So I immediately got on the phone with my, my daughter's pediatrician again. And I said, I think my daughter is having infantile spasms. She needs an EEG today. Google had told me that the way to diagnose this was with an EEG. And uh, the nurse on the phone said, okay, well, you have a referral already to see a neurologist at this other hospital. Why don't we just keep the, the appointment there? And I said, you don't understand. I've been going back and forth with this, other, with this other hospital for the last month, and we still don't even we still don't even have an appointment. I don't want to go there. She needs an EEG today here. And she put me on hold and came back in a few minutes, and she said, well, if you want to be seen here, you're going to have to get on the roster. And the nearest time that we have for you is a month from now. And I said, darling, I don't think you understand. My daughter needs an EEG today. And I'm not getting off this phone until you have her scheduled today for an EEG. 
And so she put me on hold again. And I guess she went and actually talked to her pediatrician who was seeing patients. And then she back and she said, okay, we can schedule you for an EEG, an emergency EEG tomorrow. Is that okay? I said, okay, we will wait until tomorrow. And hanging up there, she had an EEG scheduled and that gave me about 24 hours to really research what infantile spasms was and to really just kind of freak out because everything I was finding out was terrifying. Um, There are a lot of, uh, there's a spectrum of, there's a broad range, a broad spectrum of effects that infantile spasms can have. And it ranges from a child having a few seizures uh, she he or she gets onto medications and get the seizures under control, and then they're fine and no effects. You got that at one end, and then on the other end, there's people with very very severe cognitive developmental um, uh, delays and impairments, and um, just a huge range of health complications. And so I am just sitting there praying the entire time, God, please let me be wrong. I don't want to be right about this. Please protect my daughter. And so we went in the next day for this EEG appointment. And within 60 seconds of being hooked up to this machine, there was, it was, it was me holding my daughter in this, uh, in this hospital bed. And my job was to keep her still so that she would fall asleep. So I'm basically immobilized in this hospital bed. And there's this EEG technician in the room. The neurologist was not there. He was somewhere else. But within 60 seconds of being hooked up to this machine, she's looking at the screen and then she starts getting on her phone and she is texting like crazy. And I can sense that there's a different kind of energy in the room. And I ask her, is everything okay? And she looks at me and she puts her phone down. And I later found out she was texting the neurologist. Uh, she she looks at me and she says, I am not the neurologist. And so I am not qualified to make a diagnosis. So I'm not supposed to be telling you this. However, I know that if that was my daughter in that bed, I would want to know your daughter has infantile spasms. And so I'm just, I'm laying there on this hospital bed, bed and I just feel like a ton of bricks just falls down on top of me because all of a sudden, my greatest fears are coming true and I'm just terrified for my daughter and uh, just my world was kind of just shaken in that moment. And they immediately admit us to the hospital ER and we ended up staying there for three days and they ordered so many tests in the time while we were there. And in the process of all those tests, one of the tests that they did was an MRI of her brain and When they did that and they got the results back for that, they came to us and said, we don't think this is just infantile spasms. Your daughter's brain MRI does not look typical. We think she has this other genetic disorder called tuberous sclerosis complex. And again, I had never heard of that either. I didn't know what that was. I got on the phone and started Googling what what tuberous sclerosis complex was. And it turns out it's an even more rare, even more rare than infantile spasms. It's a genetic disorder that basically um, the gene in my daughter's DNA that is responsible for regulating cellular growth has a mutation on it and is malfunctioning. And what that results in is my daughter is going to have random growths of benign, non-cancerous cells 
that take the form of tubers all over her brain. They are all over her body. They can show up anywhere on her organs, her skin, in her eyes, in her brain, in her heart, anywhere. And the cell, the, the tubers themselves are non-cancerous, so they're non-dangerous, but depending on where they decide to show up and how many there are and how big they grow, they can cause severe compli- health complications for her. And they can show up in the brain. And my daughter specifically has at least 10 pretty big ones in her brain, pretty big tubers in her brain. And when they show up in your brain, it causes very severe. Um, she has she has developmental delays. She has uh, cognitive impairment. She's um, she literally just uh, about three weeks ago. She just got diagnosed with autism in addition uh, to this, and that's caused by what's going on in her brain. So there's there's a lot going on for her. And when I was first finding out about all of this. I was just thrown into utter chaos. I, my just, <laughs> my foundation of everything was just like, my, it felt like the rug had just been pulled out from under me. And as a mom, I was terrified. And on top of that, on top of just being scared for my daughter, I was also grappling with this new reality that the 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 life that I thought my daughter was going to have, the life that I thought my family was going to have, in a day was gone and now and i have no idea what our future holds i have no idea what my daughter is going to grow up to be because now all these things that most parents just kind of assume that their kids are going to be able to do things like learning to walk learning to talk learning to feed themselves learning to to be able to communicate and express their emotions and desires I couldn't take that for granted anymore. I didn't know that my ch- that my daughter was going to be able to do any of those things. Now, in in the time since then, thank God she has surpassed all expectations and all all of our greatest hopes of or the things that we dared to hope since then. But um, at at the beginning, there it was a really it was a really dark, um, terrifying time for me and my husband and my whole family. Um, and I'm a very faithful person. So I immediately turned to to God and to prayer. And I was just taking all of these fears and all of this heartache that I was feeling. I think I, I can honestly say I was going through a grieving process. Um, maybe not for a grieving a death, but grieving a life not lived, I think, I think is a fair way of saying it. And um, so I'm, I'm just taking all of this and I'm just kind of in this internal storm that I'm dealing with while also trying to care for my daughter. And I'm praying about all of this and I've got all of these insecurities and I'm not sure if I have what my daughter is going to need. I'm not sure if I'm going to be the kind of mother she needs uh, to take care of her. And I just, ultimately, I just don't want this for her. I don't want these diagnoses, this condition. I don't, I don't want her to have to deal with this. And that's and I was and and that's what I brought to my prayer life. And I was and I was having some very very honest conversations with God. And in the midst of that, in the midst of all of that turmoil, I seeming I almost, almost like randomly, literally in the middle of the night, got the inspiration to write a children's book. Okay. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, so it all kind of ties together. 
honest, I still attest to this day that this book was divinely inspired because I wasn't thinking any of the things in this book that I ended up getting the idea to write down. And I literally woke up in the middle of the night one night, got up, started writing. And then I wrote, I wrote for hours. I ended up finishing a complete first draft in a couple of hours. And then I went back to bed. And when I came back a few hours later and read it, it was like someone else had written it because I don't know where any of this came from. But so the story that I ended up writing was the story of a mom and a dad who find out that their daughter is going to be a very special child and is going to have needs that most other kids don't have. And the parents are very worried about this. And so they start praying to God about, about their daughter and they're praying, God, please fix our child. Please fix our daughter. And in the book, Jesus comes and has a conversation with the parents. And he starts off the conversation with saying, fix your daughter but she's already exactly how I chose to create her. And there's this, this beautiful dialogue that of this back and forth between the parents and Jesus, where Jesus helps explain to them that he doesn't make mistakes. And he has given this their, their daughter to them, not as a punishment, not as an oversight or a mistake, but as a gift, exactly the way she is. And, he gave them he gave her to them because they are exactly the parents that she is going to need that he has known that she was going to be their child long before they were even born and has been preparing them to be her parents for their entire lives and he has already given them all of the graces that they need for this vocation of being this daughter, this child's parents and it's it's this beautiful, beautiful message. It's very gentle, but very clear that God has a plan and that this child, these children, I mean, in the book, it's one child, but, you know, it could apply to any anyone, anyone at all, um, that, that they are loved, so immensely loved by God. God loves them even more than the parents do. And... and because he allows their their minds and their bodies to be so special, he makes sure that their hearts and souls are special too, and they will have an easier path to heaven than the one than the path most others will take because they are so special, and they are going to be an avenue of grace for everyone in their lives, especially the parents. And caring for this child will be their path to heaven. That will be how they have to grow in virtue, how they grow in love, and how they care for this child who is the least of these. Like it says in the Bible, whoever cares for the least of these is caring for me, as Jesus says in the Bible. And it's it's this beautiful, it's this beautiful message. And I honestly didn't come up with it. <laughs> I wrote it down, but I didn't come up with it. This was not anything from me. And it was honestly, I feel like God inspired me to write this book as an answer to my own prayer, to the questions I was bringing up in my own prayer life, because I, this was what I was praying about. These questions, do I have what my daughter needs? How am I going to provide for her? Am I the one who is supposed to take care of her? Because I don't feel like I have what it takes for this. And what is her future going to look like? And you know, just I just like and all of these questions that every parent, I have no doubt, every parent 
questions and, and feels when they find out that their daughter has a diagnosis, like, or I'm sorry, their child could be a boy or girl, I don't know. But uh, when their child has a di- gets a diagnosis, every, every, every parent goes through a, their own version of a journey like this. And everyone I have talked to who has read this book, especially those who, ha- who have children with disabilities, they, they have universally said that this book has touched their hearts. This book has, has pulled on their heartstrings and has either, um, was either something that they really needed to hear or it reaffirmed in a beautiful way something that they already knew, that their child was a precious gift from God. And that's the title of the book. The book is God's Precious Gift, A Special Needs Child. It's because each child with special needs is a gift, is a special gift from God. So um, I'm sorry, I'm not really letting you get any, get any uh, time to talk, but that's, that's my story. And that's the story of my book. And that is, and that, that's what got me here. And God has just moved so many mountains and, and just worked so many miracles for, for us as a family and through us has touched others. And it's just been, it's been eye-opening and beautiful to see and it's been it's still been terrifying don't get me wrong it's still been hard and and a roller coaster and scary but it's been a real trust exercise and it's been something that has really taught me opened my eyes to things that I didn't even realize that I was attached to that I needed to let go of and open my eyes to be beautiful things that I don't think I had the eyes to see before my daughter uh, got this diagnosis. Because now, so many, all these little things are huge, huge victories. Little things that they do that my daughter does, it, like to anyone else, they may seem just like, you know, insignificant to us we know that this is actually a huge mountain that she has that she has climbed that she has scaled and it's beautiful to see and it's been a beautiful journey and i'm i have been transformed through it <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and uh, uh yeah that's that's my story <laughs> all right so so to dig a little deeper um into this you know yes. there, there's a portion that that is very uh, helpful that we can talk about real fast the husband and wife mm-hmm. dynamic when you initially, when you both mm-hmm. got all this information and you sit, sit down together, um, the in- intimacy level that, that takes place in marriage, I believe, is you sit down and you have a face-to-face conversation or you you mm-hmm. take out anything that's uncomfortable or or you feel that's unnecessary. You put it all on the table and you're like, hey, this is the uncomfortable. This is the unnecessary that we are going to have to make necessary. How did y'all have that type of conversation? Like, how did y'all sit down and not have... Uh, some type of regret or some type of anger or hostility towards the situation? Mm. Towards the situation, it's, like I said, there was a grieving process and there's stages to grief. There's, there's, uh, you know, denial, anger, you know, bargaining. We went through all of that as a couple. We went through it together. We, you know, at, at the very beginning, it kind of took the form of just checking in with each other, like, hey, how are you doing? Where where are you at? Kind of thing. And that was that was just us trying to help each other survive because we were we were in survival mode at first. And then as the dust began to kind of just settle and 
reality really started kicking in, we had to sit down with each other. There were a lot because it was it was there were a lot of elements to it. There were a lot of elements of how are we going to pay for her health care? How are we going to handle because because she's not our only child. We have two children. Right. And uh, at the time, at the time, he was only 17 months old. My son was only 17 months old. And um, like, so how are we going to handle both of these, both of these very, very young children? And what are, what are we going to have to change in our lives? Like, our, it felt like everything had just been turned upside down for us. And there was this mutual this mutual sense of, okay, everything is different now. So what do we need to keep? And what do we need to let go of? And there was kind of this purging process of, okay, we need to make sure that our, that our daughter gets her medicine. We need to make sure that she gets to therapy and that her medical needs are met. Also, we need to make sure that our son doesn't get lost in all of this. We need to make sure that he is still loved and we need to make sure that we are there for each other. I think the biggest, I think not the biggest thing, but uh, uh, I'd say top three, the three, the top three was take care of our daughter's medical needs, make sure that our son doesn't get lost in the, in the throw of all of this and make sure that we stay connected. My, my husband and I stay connected to each other because like, I just, I think I instinctively just knew that this is the kind of thing that could make or break a marriage. And I really, I really didn't want this to break our marriage. And so I, and also just going through all this, I don't think I could have survived without my husband. I mean, I know it happens where a single parent finds themselves in this situation and I don't, I, God has just got to be showering any single parent, like just waterfalls with graces to be able to handle this. Because I know I would not have gotten through this without my husband to to lean on. And he wouldn't have gotten through it without me to lean on. We kind of just leaned on each other. And the beautiful part was we were able to share our brokenness with each other. We were able to share our grieving hearts and just, you know, open up to each other about what we're, what we were each feeling and because we trusted each other with with ourselves that much and my husband his biggest I think he was able to emotionally handle the idea that she has a disability that she was going to be a special needs child I think he was able to emotionally handle that what he was fixated on and this is natural I guess because he's he's a man and he's uh the provider for our family he's wondering how are we going to pay for everything how are we going to pay for what she needs and I am sitting there there's actually a page in the book of this (laughs) where we've got like there's like thought bubbles of all the things that we're thinking about and I'm thinking is she ever going to get married one day is she going to have friends is she gonna be able to go to school like normal kids and it's like (laughs) We're just completely fixated on different things, but still hurting, still, still needing to grow and trust God there and trust each other with that. So it was, that was kind of how it came about for us. We like it, it kind of just organically grew from needing to just like check in with each other. Babe, how you doing? How are you? And giving and showing a lot of mercy 
on each other because <laughs> there were a lot of days when I was snippy. There were a lot of days when he was snippy just because I was just so emotionally stretched. And he he recognized that in me. I recognized that in him when he would get snippy. And then we were able to say, okay, are you okay now? Like, and, and kind of just start over and show that mercy there. And I think that that was a really important aspect of it too, giving each other grace in that way. Okay. Now, the further and further you get into stuff, uh, you, you developed a book. So the book, as the audience can tell from all the expressions in, in, in anybody that watches this on YouTube, <laughs> definitely pay attention to Colleen because you can see different uh, rays of emotion in her face. Um, it was self-healing and it was therapy at the same time. And as you got through it, yes. you, you, you were able to chronicalize your grief, your happiness, your sorrows, everything that you can put underneath the moon mm -hmm. and underneath the sun. So that's something I want to commend you on because not mm -hmm. a lot of people can capture that and help use it as an aid for other people. Because a lot of people, you know, we deal with sorrows, deaths, and different things like that. And just anything that's dramatic. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always turn into mm -hmm. a positive. It turns into something that could be linear. But it, that linear expression that we get is just something that lets us get by. But this is more than just getting by. This is helping other people. And this is helping get yourself to another echelon of, of um, mental stimulation. And the key thing here that, that I'm commending you on again is to, to be, being able to elevate your mind beyond what it was prior. A lot of people don't go that in depth into their own thought. But think about this. You sat here. You had a very traumatic situation. It hit you like knobs coming from everywhere around you. You formulated that yes, into a book. You formulated that into a book. Your family, your husband, everyone involved with you, you all came together in different aspects. And you all built each other up. You didn't let one person fall off the boat. And that mm -hmm. is the true uh, meaning of community. So commend you on that once again. And that's something <laughs> that, that you can just, just catch in the, in the dialogue that you put out there earlier. So my next question, and this is the hardest question. You know, you get to a point where you have built everything up. You're having good days. Your daughter mm -hmm. is meeting her milestones. Um, everybody's mm -hmm. happy. But there comes a dark moment. You get up and the shade doesn't open up the right way. And you go back in your mind and you regress a little bit. And you remember mm -hmm. hearing this stuff. How do you bring yourself out of that sorrow? And the reason I ask you this is because this is the thing that makes you personable to people. Because people don't understand the process of just because everything keeps going and going and gets better. Sometimes you have a moment that puts you back to the square, I mean, down to ground zero again. So how do you pick, yeah. how do you pick yourself up from ground zero with all the progress that your daughter's made and everything else? Because sometimes, like I said, the light doesn't come out that shade the right way in the morning. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I I completely get what you mean. I actually had a day like this just this week where it's just like I felt like I was back at ground zero. Um, and honestly, it's different every time. How I deal with it is different every time. Sometimes. I am able to kind of just see the way through and kind of just hold on. And other days I, I kind of just wallow in the grief for a little while, but generally I think the biggest part, the biggest helpful thing for me and, and it uh, takes a slightly different shade every single time, but the common thread is, I find community, community is a huge thing. And, but 
I mean specifically a spiritual community. And by that, I mean from uh, from people in my faith. I find community with, with Jesus. I find community with people from the Bible. And I'm, and I'm just looking, I look into scripture because the scripture is the living word. And it's because in my, in my specific situation, um, there aren't any other people around me who have a, who have a family situation similar to mine. So I don't have any real immediate community that can actually really relate to what um, our family is going through. So I kind of am prone to feel a little isolated in that. So again, I'm a faithful person. I turn to my faith. And so what ends up happening is I look at my daughter and she is making a lot of progress. She is growing. She's, she's beautiful. And I am so blessed and privileged to have her, but she is not a typical child. There's a lot of things that are delayed for her. There's a lot of things that she, for all I know, may never be able to do. Um, right now she's nonverbal. She just got diagnosed for autism, like I said. And while she is about 21 months old, she's functioning at about a nine to 12 month development stage. That's kind of where she is. And um, so there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that break my heart really. And so I am able to recognize that suffering has a purpose. Suffering, there is there is grace and redemption to be found in suffering. And I get that. I am as an adult, as a person who is who is that far along in their faith, am able to recognize that suffering has a purpose. But what hangs me up a lot of times is looking at my daughter, who is less than two years old. She is not able to understand that. She is not able to understand that suffering has a reason and that there is anything to that that there's something to be gained in suffering. She doesn't get that. She's not capable of understanding that. And so what gets me is thinking, okay, God, you can ask anything you want from me. I understand that. But please don't ask me to watch my daughter suffer because she doesn't get it. She she is not there. Please don't ask my please don't ask me to let my child suffer. And so what I end up doing is I end up thinking, you know, I go back to the, to the Bible and I'm asking, okay, well, whose example do I have to follow here? What do I do here? And so I went through the Bible and I was thinking, you know, like who had to say yes to allowing their child to suffer. Uh, And my first thought went to Abraham who had to uh, be willing to, to sacrifice Isaac. And I was like, okay, there's that. And Jesus had, or not Jesus, sorry. Uh, Abraham had to be willing to give up Isaac. And he said yes to that. It's like, okay. But ultimately God did not actually ask that of Abraham. He spared Isaac. I was like, okay, well, he hasn't spared my daughter yet. So, uh, and then my thoughts next went to Mary. Mary who was asked, will you be the mother of the Lord of this, of this child who is going to save the world by dying? And her answer was, I am the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Her answer was yes. She had to say yes. Yes, I will, I will 
bear this child, raise this child, be the mother of this child. And I will trust God, even knowing that he will die, even knowing that he will suffer. She had, Mary had to say yes to let her child suffer. And she said yes through all of it. She trusted through all of it. She was there at the foot of the cross when her when her child, when her baby was hanging on the cross and she trusted and she was there. She was there for the, um, for the, for the, uh, for when the Holy spirit came into the upper room, she was there for all of it. And she kept on saying, yes, she kept on trusting. And that is my example that I am trying to follow, to say yes and to, and to trust. And Mary has become my community. Mary is the ultimate special needs mom. She had a child that she knew was different. She had a child whose safety she was constantly concerned about. She had a child who was prone to run away and <laughs> and got lost in the temple for three days. She had a child like she she experienced it all. Uh, and she and so she gets it. She is a mom. She's a mom through and through, and she gets it. And she said yes, and she trusted through all of it. So Mary is my mom community. Okay. And that <laughs> it's my long-winded, my long-winded way of answering your question of how do I pull myself through that? I pray about Mary. I ask for the faith of Mary. And that's and that's how ultimately I usually end up coming out of that. Is I I ask God give me the faith of Mary. And that's and that's ultimately what is what brings me out of that I okay think. <laughs> okay now this show we have a nostalgic portion of the show that anybody that's listened to it and if you're a new listener you're going to learn about this i pay homage to a news magazine uh called 2020 comes on friday nights on abc it's always been on abc as long as i've been alive i'm 37 years old it might not have been on all that time but it's been on a great while you have john stossel on there john stossel is the comedic relief yeah diane sawyer that was on there she was poignant uh she had a great amazing questions and she led up to the greatest uh, interviewer of our time, God rest her soul, Barbara Walters. Barbara Walters yeah. would ask hard-hitting questions. She would ask questions that challenge the norm. She would ask things that would titillate your senses. She did enough with her journalistic integrity that sometimes she ran over to 11.05 at night. And if she ran over that far, you knew it was a deep episode. Um, so... To pay homage to her, we have some 2020 questions for you, Colleen. So the the, 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 <laughs> okay. the, the serious part here now is, uh, are you ready? Mm-hmm. I am ready. All right. And once again, uh, God rest uh, Barbara Walter's soul. Um, now, mm-hmm. here we go. You wrote this book. You mm-hmm. have to get it edited. You have to have people read it. And you have to take in criticism. Criticism is the hardest thing because I'm one person and I'm honest about this with the job that I do. Cause I told you what I do. I don't have to answer. I have to answer to a few other people, but I have, to, I have to take no criticism in my job. It's 0% in my job because my job is a, it's laid out for you flat. It's by the book or not by the book. So, so I don't take criticism very well in my work environment in the creative spaces. When we create anything, books, media, basically I can take criticism. I've learned that if it's constructive and it's comes from a place of good merit, then I can take that merit and I can make it my own good merit too. But if it comes from a place of someone that's just trolling or someone that's trying to be derogatory in any form or fashion, I can alleviate it from my body like a ponytail. When you put your hair behind you, it's just behind me. So what is your take on criticism? 
inside of, of the book that you wrote because someone had something to say and, and you had to take it with a grain of salt or you had to take it on the chin <laughs> yes i did it was it was uh it was a little uncomfortable for me because this book was my baby this book was another child of mine and i wanted to stay very true I wanted to make sure that it got through the editing process, still staying true to that core message. And I was really lucky because the people that I had editing the book wanted that same thing because uh, they were all, every one of them had some connection to a child with special needs. Either they had a child with special needs or they had a family member who had special needs. So they wanted that. I was very, very lucky in that my entire team also wanted to stay really true to this message and they wanted to be um they they didn't want to change the core of the book and so uh i i was lucky in that sense so everyone who read the book and had any kind of uh editorial criticism i was able to look at it fortunately from the viewpoint of they're trying to make this book better and fortunately i had the ultimate say of because I was self-publishing okay. um, I had the ultimate say of this stays this goes I didn't go through a traditional publisher I self-published this book so uh, I was ultimately able to say okay I I can see how this makes it better or this doesn't this doesn't make it better this isn't what I'm trying to do and so that was very very helpful that I ultimately had the the um, yet say to say yes or no for anything. Um, but it was a little bit of a growing process because I knew that like, I knew that I had, it wasn't the perfect way to do it. And I was, I was very grateful for the, the editors that I had. Um, one of them was my sister, um, who, who, uh, <laughs> used to be a, an English teacher. So she, so she was great for that. And she was great with, uh, she had some great additions and, um, criticisms of, of mostly, well, not mostly, but there was, there was a lot of grammar. <laughs> Turns out I'm horrible at grammar oh, <laughs> and <all>. phonics <laughs> and just, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but there was that stuff I was actually fine with. Um, but it, it, I find the thing that I actually struggle with was the reviews that I got because this book is available through my website, God's Precious Gift, especially God's Precious Gift.com, but it's also available on Amazon. And on Amazon, people write reviews. And I've actually got a lot of wonderful reviews, but there are a few that, you know, they're not bad reviews, but they're um, like, they're just different perspectives on it. Like uh, someone, because my book is, is very much a Christian, it's a Christian based book. But, uh, you know, I had someone who was who happened to be Jewish and it's like, OK, this, you know, this book, great general message, but I couldn't really relate because I'm not a Christian, you know, kind of thing, that kind of a thing. Um, and it's like so and one the one honestly, the the one that really bothered me the most was someone who put a four star rating, which, again, is not a bad rating. I don't. I, I, up to that point, I had all five stars so far. So they put a four star rating and no explanation. There was no wow. words. They just put the star <laughs> rating and didn't explain why. And I'm like, what? They messed up my ratio. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you doing? And I have no, 
responsible for that because I don't even know why it got the rating it got. So that has actually been uh, something that I've had to grow in and just been like, okay, let it go. And, and I've had to learn how to, you know, just put it behind me because I have a harder time putting it behind me than that, than, than, than you seem to have, which is a beautiful blessing that you've got. Um, but I've had to learn how to do that. And it's been a little uncomfortable, but it's been, it's been good. It's, it's helped me to grow as a person. So I can't say it's been a bad thing. Okay. And that's great to hear there. Now, next question. Um, so mm-hmm. the, the worst part of being a creator when you write a book and everything is uh, you finish that book. And when you finish that book, mm-hmm. everything, you, you get this amazing gratification that you finish something. But then you realize that that was something that was helping you along the way. And you still have that resource, but it was a process and mm-hmm. everything you did, the systems that you had to create to do all that. They were things that, that protected you yep. in certain areas. How do you mm-hmm. relive that feeling? How do you keep that feeling going in or how do you replace that feeling? I keep writing. <laughs> <laughs> I keep on, I keep on, uh, create, I keep being creative and creating new things. Like, cause, cause you're right. Creating writing that book, getting it illustrated and, and edited, the whole process of, of bringing that book to life, it was it was therapeutic. It really, really was. And it was healing for me. And then once it was done, finally, like it, it was it was done, but like I wasn't ready to be done with it. So, um, I mean, fortunately for me, there was just a natural next step of, okay, you've had this book made, now you got to market it. So now, so like it was kind of like, I kind of just naturally took the next step. So, and it was therapeutic being able to talk to other people about this book and being able to, to um, try to spread the word about it because that kept me connected to it. And now, I mean, I'm still doing that. I mean, I'm doing it right here on the podcast, Yes. but, um, (laughs) but I have kept on being creative with it. I just finished making a coloring book that is a companion coloring book. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, the book is called God's Precious Gift, A Special Needs Child. And the coloring book that literally just got published um, is, co- is called God's Precious Gift, A Companion Coloring Book. So like they go hand in hand. And basically you can, you can color the book, basically. <laughs> um, the illustrate, it's, it's a lot of the illustrations. There's modifications and stuff, but um, you can basically color a lot of the illustrations directly from the book. And so that has been a project that I literally just finished and that has been wonderful. And now I'm getting, I'm working on getting this translated into Spanish. And so there's going to be a Spanish translation of it. And then after that, I'm going to try to, I mean, right now the book is only available in paperback. So I'm going to try to get it into a hard, a hardcover version of the book, you know? So, so I keep on just trying to find new things that I can do to keep me connected with this book, new steps to take that will keep me connected with this book. And then ultimately I'm also have, I'm working on a, a, not a sequel, but um, another type of companion book to this book. One that is, cause this book is about two parents and their, and their child. And I'm working on another story that is about a sibling who has, a sibling with special needs because I have a son who has a sister with special needs. And so I want to, I'm trying to work on another book with a similar message, but for siblings. And so I, I am finding that this being creative in the, uh, by making this book 
has been so therapeutic. I don't want to stop. I don't want, and, and the message has been so well received. I don't want to stop. I want to keep on making new things. So that's what I do. I just keep on, I just keep on keeping on. I keep on writing. <laughs> okay. And, and I can appreciate that. Now, the last question, and this is the hardest thing that you will have to answer. So um, like my teacher used to tell me in school, I, had, I have to put on my thinking cap with this one. And you're going to have to put your thinking cap on with this one also. So okay. advertising, advertising is something that everybody has a perspective on. Some people think mm-hmm. triangles, some people think squares, some people think rectangles, or some people think circles in their thoughts on how to mm-hmm. advertise. So we're going to do a little role play and thing that we do here when we have people that are content creators, authors, and different things. So strategically speaking, we'll say you've been across the whole United States, even if you haven't. There's a billboard. Okay in seattle washington to advertise for this book and it's probably like near the space needle somewhere near there what does this what does this billboard say about the book and give me imagery what's what's on this billboard? oh boy okay um that is a really good question okay off the top of my head i'm thinking the billboard would have the image of one of the my favorite page in the book is a is the image of Jesus holding the baby uh the little baby girl and he's holding her and like tickling her and they're both laughing and there's just this beautiful it's this beautiful picture of just Jesus loving on uh this these parents children the parents daughter and their their little girl so i would have that image on the billboard of jesus jesus just loving this little girl and i would have the title and so like i'm thinking i have a theory that people you know uh people here in the u.s you know they read left to right and i think they look at pictures left to right too so I would have on the left side of the billboard is the picture of Jesus loving on this child. And that is the image of Jesus's love. And then in the, in the center and the right hand corner, I would have the title God's precious gift, a special needs child. And then, and then underneath it, I think I would have in large, very readable letters, a story of God's love for children with special needs. Like, cause that, that is in a nutshell, what this book is. It is a story of God's love for children with special needs. And then I'll probably like on the bottom right corner, still, hopefully this billboard is very big because also I want this, uh, this other thing to be very, very large and seeable. I'd have um, a mock-up of the book. I'd have a picture of the actual storybook, the, the title cover of the book. Um, so I'd have uh, the image of, of Jesus loving on this dog, uh, loving on this little girl, um, the title in the center, and beneath it, in probably a different font, a story of God's love for children with special needs. And then uh, an image of the actual book, a mock-up of the book, and probably along the entire bottom of the billboard would have my website, uh, www.godspreciousgift.com. I think that's what the billboard would look like. I've okay. never been asked that question. So right off the top of my head, I think that's what it would look like. Okay. Now, 
let's say you go to the middle of the United States, you got a little success off the Seattle, Washington billboard. So you let's <laughs> let's go to the Midwest. What's the city I want to do in the Midwest? Uh, we're not going to do Ohio because I don't consider that Midwest. Let's go with Austin, Texas. <laughs> Austin, Texas. You okay. are you are at a non-denomination TED Talk. Non-denominational TED Talks. Everybody's here that that celebrates underneath the same idea of Christ, Jesus. Okay. You are uh-huh. about to, you are the third person on, and you are here to talk about okay. your book, and you're here to talk about your persuasion in life. Give me the first uh-huh. sentence that you give to that crowd of 150,000 people, or more. we'll say 200,000, so it sounds good. Uh, my first sentence, like, yes. other than, hello, my name is Colleen. Right, uh, right, um, Okay. Not, your intro, not your introduction, um, but your sentence. The sentence that you're going to say. Okay, my first sentence. Okay. Oh, and this gosh. is prolific. You got to have a good thing. So let me put some filler in here while you think on that. So, okay. in this instance, this crowd has everybody in. I mean, it has a who's who of religion. You got Billy Graham. You got whomever from wherever. <laughs> Everybody's here. And you're invited. You're mm-hmm. going for this TED Talk. So this is not no run-of-the-mill TED Talk. This is the non-denominational mm-hmm. TED Talk, something that has never happened, but it's happening in this role-playing reality that we're building up. So it's not that there's pressure on you, but your message has to be more than profound. It has to be more than prolific. It has to have the authenticity that's calling all. And okay. Her, and okay. her story. And her story. Uh-huh. Okay, so my first sentence... And it doesn't matter My how long it is. Sentence. If it's a paragraph, it's a paragraph. <laughs> it can be a compound. It can be. Yeah. I told you I was really bad at grammar. Okay. So I think my first sentence would be God, in his love and mercy, has put me here to talk to y'all. And I would ask you to pray with me that I do him justice in spreading this message of God's love for children with special needs and the grace that he gives their families. I think that'd be my first sentence. <laughs> okay. Okay. And I can go with that. Now, after that, um, there is some things going on in Louisiana. They need you at Tulane university. Cause Louisiana, <laughs> Louisiana, we got to put, put a little dive in there about them. Now you're at Tulane uh-huh. and Tulane mm-hmm. at this, at, at this, this meeting that you're at, not a TED talk, but this is a, a, a culmination of you, your daughter, her diagnosis, and everything that you've gone mm-hmm. through. You were speaking on a committee about infantile spasms, if I pronounce that correct. Infantile spasms. Yes, yes. Yes. What are your opening remarks? Because you've been invited to this because you've lived through it. You've seen what has happened with your daughter. What do you tell this mm-hmm. audience? Because this is a committee, but you're letting people, you're informing them about this. What do you tell them at Tulane University? And at this place, you got over, let's say, because you've been doing 200,000, let's see, Tulane, I don't know, we have too many people there. So we're say 75,000 people are there. <laughs> what do I say on a committee to Tulane yeah. for infantile spasms? I think I would say it is imperative that more people know how to recognize what a seizure is 
with their infants. I think it's, it should be, it needs for the sake of the few children who have this condition, because it is so drastic, it has such a drastic effect. I think it needs to be come standard for parents of new children to have to go through a seminar where they are taught how to recognize seizures in infants. And they are taught how to recognize what is not typical in an infant, because it is true that every child is on their own journey and every child is unique, but there are some things that are different from being, from being, you know, a child on their own timeline versus a child undergoing a major medical event that needs attention. And I think it needs, I would urge Tulane uh, and all the surrounding medical community to, to reach out and I would urge them to create a seminar that would become standard for parents as they are preparing to have their children. As a woman goes into her OBGYN, part of the preparation process for getting checked in at a hospital is to be taught what a seizure looks like in an infant. I think that's what that's what I would I think that's what I would be urging this committee for because I didn't recognize what a seizure was and I didn't know what I was dealing with until someone educate a friend of mine showed me what it was and as soon as I found out I was able to get into gear and get my daughter treatment but until I knew what I was dealing with I was willing to listen to other voices who if I had continued listening to them, my daughter would have been in even more trouble than she is. Uh, she would have she would have suffered even more seizures than she did. So I think I would urge them to to make it a standard educational element for new parents to recognize seizures. Okay, and I like that. Now after Tulane, you head over to the East Coast. You're over in the Mid Atlantic, about near my area, but you end up in Baltimore. And there's a special mm-hmm. university inside Baltimore that everybody knows about, and that's John Hopkins University. <laughs> and John Hopkins has, has taken, and I like to do this role play with everybody, depending on what goes on mm-hmm. with you, because it makes sense. Um, and here it goes. And this is the culmination of everything. So John Hopkins hears about what you said in Tulane. And mm-hmm. they are doing their research, which they'll, they'll have to do on their own. But they're willing to let you produce a pamphlet. They want you to be the spokeswoman for infantile spasm. They want to give you your pilot program. They want you to help out the United States, the world with this. As you're going along with what they need you to do in Baltimore, they're asking you questions. And obviously they can get any medical record and do case studies. So they do all this stuff and they give you findings so that you can see a more in-depth look at how it looks around the United States and it looks around the world. As you're finding out Mm -hmm. more and more information, you find out, you know, you, you hug yourself a little tighter because you realize that even though this has happened to your daughter, this was a blessing in disguise because you're actually giving national attention. You're giving world-renowned advice with information that's provided to you by one of the most prestigious universities in the world. You know, you you got this kind of information Mm -hmm. and you're the spokeswoman and you get on CNN because CNN, they flew me into New York after you've done your bidding at John Hopkins. (laughs) 
what are you saying in the CNN interview when you're sitting there with whoever the latest reporter, because you know they flip reporters every week. <laughs> what is the person yeah. that you say about this new pilot program and what you're trying to achieve in the United States? And then you, you relay it back to your book. What do you mm-hmm. say on that show? Give me a, give me what you would give in that interview. So the question they ask you is, Colleen, it's real simple like this. Let me get my um, interview voice on. So Colleen Fall, you are okay. here on CNN right now. And you have taken a step. You went from being just an author, an advocate, to being the face of infantile spasm. You have a daughter, Grace by faith. And she has moved mountains and she has met many milestones. But what can you tell the world today to the uneducated person? What can you let them know about infantile spasms how this can be something that you just overlook. I think, well, thank you for having me, by the way, uh, on CNN. But how can it be something that I overlook? I think it is such a tragedy that so many people because diseases, many, many diseases are rare. No one knows how to recognize them. And everyone assumes that little things that their children do are just unique to them because kids are funny. Infants infants are quirky. And they just assume that it's just something that their kid is doing, which is what leads to overlooking. And there is this very resilient optimism that every parent has that their child is going to be okay. And there's this feeling of something bad that happens to other people. It would never actually happen to me. There's this false sense of security that this would never actually happen to me. So through that optimism and through not being educated on how to recognize symptoms, those two conditions And sometimes, in addition to that, unfortunately, sometimes you're met with medical professionals who fail to recognize the severity of symptoms as well. So sometimes you just found in a perfect storm that that leads to a child's severe medical condition going undiagnosed and untreated, which is a tragedy because these conditions are very serious. This infantile spasms is very, very serious and it needs immediate and aggressive attention and treatment. And so that is why I am here as the spokesperson for infantile spasms, trying to raise awareness, trying to raise the level of education that the everyday parent has to be able to recognize infantile spasms, to be able to recognize what seizures look like, what medical events, significant medical events look like in infants, look like in toddlers, that are not just a toddler being funny, that are not just a toddler doing something that is that is silly or just unique to them, a weird little quirk or tick that they have, but being able to be educated and recognize these major signs that can lead to immediate treatment can lead to immediate attention and can save lives. That education is crucial to the parents because these children cannot speak out. Babies are not able to communicate 
their needs, their pain, what they're feeling, their symptoms. Parents know their kids better than anybody. Parents recognize things that are abnormal, that are not typical for their child better than anyone. Parents are the most significant experts in the room when it comes to their child. And their instincts are very often on point, but they don't know, they can sense that something is wrong, but they don't know what it is. And so they go to a medical professional, they go to a pediatrician, they go to the ER, and they're relying on these these doctors to recognize what is wrong, to tell them what is going on. And sometimes that's not that's not a foolproof system. Sometimes doctors miss things. And so it is important for the parent to be educated, for the parents to know what they're looking for so that they can advocate for their child. Because it is so crucial that the child's parents be able to advocate for their child, for the child's parents to recognize that they are the biggest voice their child has, and that it is their job to fight for their child to to even when a doctor brushes something off it is so important to make your concerns known and because because if you don't speak for your child who will if you don't fight for your child who will and if you don't have the tools you need to be able to do that then what does that mean for your child so ed i'm here to speak for infantile spasms to educate parents so that they can fight for their children. They are the first and foremost, they are the front line of defense for their kids. And we need to give them the tools they need to fight for their kids. Okay. And, and that, that, go ahead. No, no. And, and that, <laughs> and that has led, that has been my journey. It has led me to write a book. It has led me to become an advocate. It has led me here and by the grace of God, I'm hoping lives are saved through it. Like and, that's that's what I would say. And with the push for this knowledge, this becomes something that, that goes in deeper and it becomes part of prenatal education. So fetal alcohol syndrome and infantile um, spasms get the same treatment. Mm -hmm. That's the whole go end goal, probably, correct? Yeah. So, yes. so yes, hopefully yes. through this so hopefully through this role play what we did there that you can keep doing that and you can get that accomplished. <laughs> So if, 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 if a milestone <laughs> comes up later and I see you on the news and you're on CNN or MSNBC or whatever you're on, and I hear you talking <laughs> about this and you've gone through at least a few of these steps, I want to tell you that I'm proud of you. And I thank you for your advocacy that you're doing right now because it, it will lead to more things. And on the forefront of things, I hope that it gets put into prenatal education because if it gets put in there, that will be something that will be amazing. Now. The last part of the show is something nostalgic that we do because we have a lot of nostalgia in the show because the show's so old. Um, it's called the shameless plug. <laughs> shameless plug is where you come in and you let us know any and everywhere where people can meet and greet you across the internet that are comfortable for you. Because one thing that I do like to stress mm -hmm. to the audience, to listeners, to anyone else that is involved with the show in any capacity, um, reaching people, being in contact with people. Um, has to be on certain levels, has to be certain boundaries because you live a life. You have children and you actively okay. have to do things and you control the boundary of how the information comes to you or how you receive it. You don't necessarily control the volume of it. So yeah. with that being said, <laughs> please let the audience know where they can meet and greet you that is set in a defined boundary area that works for you. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. Uh, so first and foremost, I would send everyone to my website 
which is www.godspreciousgift.com. There you can find out all about me as the author, the illustrator. You can find out about my daughter and the story, her story that led to me writing this book. You can purchase the book and the coloring book, and you can also reach me if you are in need of a mentor. Uh, if you are a parent going through a difficult diagnosis for your child, I have made myself available as a mentor for parents who are going through this because I've gone through that and I know how important community is. And I'm not certified as a counselor or anything, but I can I can be there with you. I can be a community with you. I can pray with you and I can be there for you in any way that I can. I can encourage you to advocate for your child with doctors. I can help you navigate navigate the the medical system in the best way that I can. So definitely go to my website. Also, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, my Facebook page is Colleen Keith Fall Author. So at Colleen Keith Fall Author, where I have an author page for my book. And I also have an Instagram account uh, at Colleen Keith Fall, where I post about all kinds of, you know, just book related things and, and the new products that are coming out for my book and, you know, the coloring book and the Spanish version. You know, I keep people updated through that. And uh, finally, if anyone is interested in hearing about and finding out more about my daughter and her medical journey, she has her own Facebook page. Oh, wow. Um, it's called, yeah, she and I've been keeping, um, you know, our community updated on, uh, you know, her her medical journey and just the, the leaps and bounds that she has made, the successes, the, um, the fallbacks, the setbacks she's gone through. And people have gone on this journey with us through this Facebook page. And it's called... Grace's TSC journey, um, G-R-A-C-E-S-T-S-C journey, J-O-U-R-N-E-Y. And uh, you're welcome to follow that page. You're welcome to follow my author page. And you're welcome to follow me on Instagram. Um, and you're also welcome to go to my website. So that's that's where you can find me. And I welcome everyone who wishes to join us in any of those places. All right. And one thing that I want to do put in here for anyone that's deciding to buy a book there are three different options to buy her book. Choose option one when you're going to get her book because <laughs> um, one, 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 one thing that goes on in life, and, and I tell people this, and this is me being an author myself, it is a challenge dealing with micromanaging or microtransactions. Mm -hmm. So you can buy the book directly <laughs> from her on her website. On the and, website. Yeah, mm -hmm. from the website. The first option there, you can use the other two, but the other two, lesson on uh, the payout and i always want everyone to to help out support as much as we can because it took a lot for you to write that book it took a lot for you to keep that stuff going and i wish mm -hmm. you more than a varied success i hope that you have a, a complete fruitful excuse me my voice cracked a little bit too much right today um <laughs> i hope everything comes to fruition that you want to take place now the last part of the show is me where i give a testimony so here's a quick testimony colleen fall fortitude mm -hmm. something you have and it's, it's not something that's manufactured it's something that comes from adversity adversity when you have adversity um you learn different types of survival skills because adversity doesn't happen to everybody everybody has challenges and struggles but adversity brings up two character flaws in us our vulnerability making meaning we're vulnerable and our fight our flight and what is that flight and fear factor or whatever fight or flight yeah fight, fight or flight, or flight comes, yeah yep. come those two things come out and you have to use both of them. 
vulnerability, you got to show that to people. You've got to let people know that you're not an Android, you're human. And that's not a dig at you, Android users, because I am an Apple guy. But the next thing that, <laughs> that goes on is um with that, that fight or flight is this real simple thing. You have to be willing to take a chance. You have to go into the unknown, not knowing what's going to happen. And you had to do that with your daughter. Because your daughter, it could have went any way, but it went the right way for God's plan for you and your family. So that's one thing you got to take there. You got to put that in a bowl, put it inside a safe deposit box and keep it because God loves his people. And no matter the circumstance, however it turned out, he was going to love you regardless. He was going to love your daughter. He was going to love your whole family regardless. So that's one thing you knew that not everybody else knew. You carried that with you. You wrote a book. You got um, a lot of people in position to feel great about themselves and to know that they are not alone. That is the hardest thing on earth to give to people because no matter how many times I do this show, no matter how many times I bring people on, people always come back to me and they say this one thing. In that moment, when Colleen was talking, when she was on that show, I wasn't alone. I wasn't lonely. She was there with me. When I read her book, I'm there with her. So having that captivating skill and trait is not something that's manufactured. It's not something that's bought. It's not something you got from mom and dad. It's something that came from you when adversity hits you. So take that and love it because not a lot of people are going to get that. And you may not get another adversity that's that hardcore or that up you know let's not put a magnitude to it but let's say you were in one of the harshest situations you could ever be in in life because your baby girl was being challenged and you had to go and help her with the challenge and that is something that is hard to deal with as a parent as anyone looking at it no matter where you are if you're inside the glass or outside the glass so i want to thank you for that commend you and your husband for that and the other thing the sanctity of marriage you two understood the assignment the lord said let's get stronger let's be tight let's be together Let's work mm-hmm. through this because there is nothing that we can't overcome with love. And you and your husband do that. You show that and you signify that across, you know, everything that you do with your hands, with your rings and the way that you look at each other. So keep loving each other the same way. And, you know, if anything, get him a three musketeer sometime, put it under his pillow, tell him he's doing all right. You know, or whatever. Favorite piece of candy. You know, something, something that's going to, you know, something that's going to like the smile you just got right there. Sit that smile, give that to mm-hmm. him later, you know, simple things in life. So, in all this, I want to tell you a huge thank you because the world needs people like you. The world needed you, your husband, your daughter, your son, everybody that's involved with you all. They needed all of you because you all had a purpose. You had a place. You had a time. You had a decision. And you all made the right decision to live, to love, and to be people of God. If you don't do those things, things don't always turn out in a decent narrative. And sometimes things happen bad. I'm not saying that they that everything goes straight, but I'm saying in this instances with you all, because you all challenged yourselves and took on the challenge that was the challenge for you all, you all are seeing a greener pasture. And yeah, you do see some brown spots in that green pasture, but that's life. And that's something that you and your husband hold on to and you pass the values on to your children and you let them know that there's love. Love inside of a home is something that is leaving the world because y'all could have just made a house. You and him could have made a choice to make a house and he could have went his own way and you could have went your way. And y'all could have had a house and y'all could have played family, but you wouldn't have had a home, but y'all chose otherwise. Mm -hmm. So I thank you for that. And on that note, I am JR for West Virginia and Commonplace. And that is my testimony for Colleen Powell. Colleen, please real quick, give a quick shout out. And I thank you to everyone that has helped you along the way. And one other person that we need to give a big huge thank you to because we wouldn't even be here without her is Grace. 
So I want to give her a yes. huge thank you real fast. And you take the floor <laughs> for the rest of the thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much to my daughter, my little, my Gracie, who is just a, a beautiful inspiration. She is an endless source of joy who is like, I, I would not be the woman I am now without her. I want to thank my husband. My husband, his name is Lance and he has just been a rock and a constant source of support and love. And you're absolutely right. The, the, he is the other half that makes this home that we live in. And my son, who is, who is just, (laughs) (laughs) he brings the adventure. He brings, he brings the, the thrill and the adventure and the, and the constant, he keeps us on our toes. Uh, my little three-year-old son, I just thank him for just his constant unconditional love for, for us, for my husband and for me and for my sister. I, want, I thank my mom who is, and both of my parents who live next door to us and have been there for us and a constant form of source of community and support and just unconditional love and understanding who have just added to this family unit that and made us stronger and all of our extended family all of our extended family who have helped bring this book about who have helped um just love us through gracie's condition and me and supported me as an author and have uh, supported us as a family as we as we have cared for gracie and helped her to grow and develop and our community at large who have just loved us and prayed for us and uh, supported us even from afar. And just, I thank all of them. I just thank, and and most importantly, I thank God who put the story on my heart and who gave me the grace to take up this, this mantle and just uh, who gave me the grace to care for my gift of grace, my daughter, and who has guided all of us through all of this and who is the hope that we have for for a, a beautiful ending in the end so yes thank all of those people especially god praise god amen to that now listeners at the very end of the show you know how this always goes you'll hear the little outro and all that other stuff now the amazing thing that happens is the people that go beyond the episode that go to the show notes she will be able to find all kinds of links and different information about colleen fall in her book and from that point on, then you carry on further on. You go to the website, you order the book, you do what you need to do to get in contact with Colleen, and you let her know how she's touching and moving your life. And once again, on that note, I am JR, and we are signing off. Bye. Please follow WV Uncommonplace on Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, TikTok, where we have some great content, Facebook, LinkedIn. Hit up the merch store at onecommonplace.square.site. Join the email list from the website, and rate, subscribe, and give feedback from your favorite podcatcher. And lastly thanks for listening and tune into the next episode.